He gives, he takes away. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to read to you from Job today. Um, I think I'm going to read to the 22nd verse. I may stop at the 12th. So we'll see when we get there. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a partridge in a pear tree. No, I'm kidding. And very many servants. So that this man was uh, the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. I just want to stop and tell you what that means. On his day. That's a birthday party. Did you catch that? I mean, you thought that we came up with that idea. Uh, what this means is they just gathered whoever's house it was at the birthday and they had a party. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Because Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And Job did this continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said to Satan, have you ever considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God and he turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no apparent reason? You have put a hedge around him. You have put a hedge around him. And his house and all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has. Gentlemen, I've lost control of the clock. I'm back. I can't do anything. I have lost completely all that I have. Do you have the verse up on the screen? <laughs> yes, but it's not moving. The Lord said to Satan, all that he has is in your hand. 
I, you know, I wanted you to see that last verse. You can see it up there. Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Are you with me? And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating, drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them, the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups. They made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another one came and said, Your sons and your daughters are eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they perished. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all ways. Job did not sin because God was with him. I want to talk to you today about the truth, the truth about Job. This past Tuesday was July 4th. I did something back in May along with Janet that you can't imagine. I did it once before, and that is that I registered for the Medina Twin Circle Bicycle Race. How many of you remember when I did that before? I rode my bike for 27 miles. And, you know, somebody like yourself, that would mean nothing. But for somebody like me, that's significant, right? And it's even more significant because I haven't been on my bike since January 5th for, for any length of, I mean, I literally took Janice out to train one day and she rode 21 miles, and I rode around the parking lot once. But anyway, I registered for the Medina Twin Circle. Job, when I've got it up on the screen there, was a man of integrity. Let me talk about that with you for a minute. That first verse said this, there's a man in the land of Uruk, his name was Job. He was blameless, and he was upright. Right there is where you begin to get a picture of Job's integrity. Blameless and upright. He, he was holy. It meant that he was whole. His, his integrity meant that he was a real deal. He was not sinless, but he had integrity. None of us are sinless. Sure, he sinned. He was not without sin. But here, here's probably a critical way of looking at this. Job was not a hypocrite, right? 
I mean, you can be a great person and be a hypocrite. And Job was not double-minded in any way. If he said something to you, you can count on his word. He wasn't going to say one thing to Phil and another thing to Bob. He was who he was. His friends in this story, we didn't get to it. We just saw all the devastation. But when his friends come to him, his three friends come to talk to him about the great disaster and loss he's had in his life, they are going to tell him, you're the problem. You had to have done something wrong. You must have caused this. God's upset with you and all these things. And Job, it would have been really easy to say, you know, you're right. I must have done that. But he never does that. He continues to maintain his integrity. And he continues to, I think, honor God in that integrity that was within him. What I want you to see today is that Job's character his, his, the, what made him integral or whole was his, his fear of God, right? And how much he could not stand evil. See, when I say he feared God, I don't mean he walked around like my dog, afraid that I might correct him for something with a, a, a zapper around his neck. That's not what I'm talking about. He feared God with an honest, good respect. For who God is. He, he respected God for what he says, what he does, who he is, how he is. He, that's the way he feared God. And he didn't cringe when he thought of God. And he, and he didn't fear God that something bad was going to happen to him. But he simply wanted to please the one that he loved. And this man who was full of integrity and whole, he had a family. Seven sons daughters. Now you got to know this. You know, today more and more, I have two grandkids. I was sitting the other day with a friend of mine that I've known for a long, 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 long time, a really good friend, and we raised our kids together. And there's his uh, three kids, and he had three grandkids. And I've got four kids, and I've got two grandchildren. I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody. No, 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 I'm really not. Don't get me in trouble. Back in the old days, I mean, you had big families, right? I heard, you know, I, I, my best friend, he came from a family of 12. Think about that. In the Old Testament, the time of Job, when the story was written, by the way, it's a true story, to have 10 children meant that you were blessed, that God really, really has blessed you. As I told you early, earlier, the family would gather often. And you heard in that verse that he would offer uh, uh, sacrifices for them. And I'm not so sure. The way it's written, we get the idea that perhaps they've done something wrong. Perhaps they've been evil and he had to appease God. I don't think that's it. I think Job on their behalf was constantly offering things so they would learn the self-respect that he had for God. Job not only had wealth in a family, Job had the stuff. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants, and he was the greatest of all the people of the earth. You run into a little bit of money, you'll find out a lot about yourself. 
And I just want to point out a couple things about Job here. But uh, I didn't read these verses, all of these verses to you. But they tell us how Job viewed what God had blessed him with. You remember what happened at the very last verse I read to you? After Job has lost everything that he has, not only his material wealth, but his family, when everything's gone, what does Job say? Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, if we could get that attitude towards us, that would be great. But Job just acknowledged, I've got this from God. God has taken it back. Therefore, I will continue to bless him just as I did when I had it and even when I didn't have it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, Job's friends would come and accuse him. And I didn't read this to you, but I want you to hear in Job 29. I won't read the whole passage to you. Yes, I will. The 12th to the 17th verses. Job is answering one of them if they're asking his favor. And listen to what he says. I delivered the poor who cried for help. The fatherless who had no one to help him. You hear what Job is saying to us. He's not bragging. He's not boasting. He's telling us that what God had blessed him with, he had used to help other people. Job was a walking picture of what Paul would write in the New Testament when Paul says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content. The rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money will lead you to all kinds of evil. It's through this kind of craving that some have wandered away from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, do these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. And he finishes off by saying, as for the rich of this age, charge them not to be despised. Not to set their hopes on uncertainty, but rather on God. I, I read that to you from Paul. Because before Paul ever even entered the picture, before Jesus ever even entered the picture, Job seems to have had that down. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But let's talk for a minute about what happened. There was a day in heaven, at least in the throne room of God, however you want to see that, where the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And look, listen to what it says. It says, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said, I've been going to and fro on the earth. I've been walking up and down. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. He turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord and said this, does Job fear you for no reason? You put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has. You've grasped the work of his hands. 
artificial aggression can increase exponentially. Just let that go ahead and cut that out. If you take that away from him, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, all that he has is your own. You just can't touch it. And as we know the story, thieves came in and took all those cattle. Thieves came in and took all that livestock. Thieves came in and stole all that. This windstorm blows in, and there goes his entire7,000 sheep, but the one that was really hurt can't still walk. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote these words, a man does not know his time, like fish taken in the evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared in the evil time when it suddenly falls happens that way, doesn't it? When, when disaster comes, when tragedy strikes, we usually don't see it coming around the bend. It just shows up. And usually when the, when the disaster comes, when the smoke has cleared and we see what has happened, we have to ask that simple three-letter question, why? You know, usually when there's a bad accident, don't go back to the accident scene and measure everything and figure out just exactly went down. If somebody gets murdered, they'll go in there and they'll do all that stuff that you see on TV and they'll figure out who did what and when and why it happened. If somebody dies, there'll be an autopsy before them to figure out what exactly happened. But Job went through the biggest devastation of anybody I can imagine. And he never had the answer why. We are sitting looking like an audience watching the stage, aren't we? We read this story and we see in God's throne room that Satan has shown up with this request. If we didn't know this, we'd probably be just like Job's friends who came and said, Job had to have done something wrong. I'll tell you as a side note, this is just one of those alleys that sometimes I go down and I preach in. And I want you to think about it. If you don't think of anything else today, this may be what sticks with you. You know what the biggest challenge to faith is? I, one of the biggest challenges to faith is, it's not believing in a God that you can't see. I think one of the biggest challenges to our faith may well be failing to believe that Satan exists. We live in an age with even the mercy of God is problematic for most people, but the idea of all evil genius. Just for the record, that's not Job's answer. So what can you learn from what happened to Job? First, God's sovereign, isn't he? In every situation in life, he is sitting on the throne. Even when everything Job had was taken, God is still sitting on the throne. When it says the sons of God came to see God, the angels themselves listen and do what God wills. They submit to him. Satan 
this is important. Satan can do nothing without God's permission. Some of you saw me walk my puppy dog through here today. I've got a little clicker right here, and a collar's still on him upstairs. If I click this, he will know that I'm somewhere around because it'll vibrate. I won't stop him. I, I never stop him. Some of you like to try it after church. I've got a few of you like to put it on. But anyway, God is sitting on the throne. Nothing is going to happen that God doesn't already know about. And he gave the permission for this to happen. Do you know the word almighty is used by Job 31 times in the book of Job? Let's just think about that for a minute. Everything you have is taken. Your entire family's wiped out. And you're even steadfast in calling God almighty. You want to know that God is sovereign in, in every situation. You have to understand that no matter what, what happens in this world, no matter what happens in your life or in mine, God's still sitting on the throne. And he knows it. Second thing that we ought to pay attention to here is that Satan had access to God. And what do I mean by that? We all have the belief that Satan is supposed to be in hell. But we miss the point of his answer to God. God asked Satan in this passage, where have you been? He said, I have been on the earth, walking up and down and back and forth in it. And my guess is he's still doing that. Not my guess, I know. But most are afraid to see As much as God is sovereign in every circumstance, evil is still present in our world. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan said, I'm going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down in it. Peter would say this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. God is sovereign in every circumstance. But Satan still has not only access to God, he has access to us. I want you to hear what Satan's accusation is. If you listen to the story I read today, the scriptures that we read this morning, Job 1 verses 1 to 22, there's something that you probably didn't think about, but it's very evident. In fact, if you read Job from the first chapter to the 42nd chapter, the end of the book, you would still find what I'm about to say to be true. God never had a problem with Job. Satan did. If you remember, what God's saying is, <laughs> have you ever seen anybody like this guy right here? He fears me. He respects me, he loves me, he avoids sin, he offers for his family the sacrifices that ought to be offered, he tries to train them in the way they should go. Have you ever seen anything like this? God was pleased with Job. The person that had a problem with Job is not God. When bad things happen, we think, oh gee, 
Satan's got at work again. Why did you do this to me? Huh. Satan has a problem, don't you? I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> but if you read the next chapter, you'd learn that we're not there yet. The Lord said to Satan in that first chapter, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> when you get to the second chapter, after Job's lost it all, after it's all gone, after all, it's all taken away, do you know what God says to Satan? I mean, if there isn't a testimony about a good man, I don't know what else could be. God looks at Satan again and says, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, after he lost it all, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. And he still, this word's in there, he still holds his fast to his integrity. Although you, although you incited me against him, destroy him for no reason. Remember what Satan said. The Lord doesn't fear you for just any old lack of reason. The Lord's feared you because you've blessed him, you've multiplied his money, you've given him a family, you've blessed him beyond measure, you've put a hedge around him. And I just want to stop and say to you today, Satan's accusation is not your reputation. Did you catch that? Satan's accusation is not your reputation. But I want to tell you a second part of that. Satan's accusation also is not God's reputation. I'm about to head down an alleyway for a minute, so put on your seatbelt. We live, and I don't know how we got to this place, but our contemporary culture, our world right here that you and I live in has decided that the minute you disagree with something or someone, you will be accused of something. And we love to use that word, you will be canceled. Let me tell you about cancel culture. You know what cancel culture is? Cancel culture is crowd rule. You ever hear a crowd surfing? How many of you have ever went to Wikipedia? Okay. Wikipedia started out as group ignorance. Let's see how many people truly believe in Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And we'll put it out there. And if it rises to the top, then that's what we'll print. And we'll put that out as truth. 90% of the time, it's not. You ever hear of source funding? Crowdsource funding? It's trying to get people to fund something to put it out to market with the most votes and the votes are God's. And the one who gets to the top of that, crowd whatever, that's the one that becomes truth or reality for our culture even though it may not be so. Some of you are either going to be really bothered by what I'm about to tell you, but you know, when I was in junior high, probably high school as well, there was one game show that I loved. It was not The Price is Right. It was not Let's Make a Deal, Carnegie Hall. 
what the gong says. Right? The gong show. Remember, remember Mean Gene, the dancing machine? Remember? But what was the point of the gong show? They had that big gong. I was explaining this to my grandson Easton the other day. Easton, there used to be a show on TV where people came out and performed, and some of them were pretty good acts. Some of them were just stinkers. But anyway, they'd come out. When, when the judges got tired of it, they'd run over to this gong and go, bong, and you'd be out. And if my memory serves me right, there was like three people that were the judges. I think Jamie Farr was one of them. I'm not sure of that. That was the gong show. But... Think about this, and I'm going to date myself here because I don't even know what's out there. I have never watched, other than the gong show, any of these talent, these shows on TV, but I know some of the names. America's Got Talent, right? American Idol. Ed McMahon had, used to have one called Star Search. And at one point, I don't know how it works now, but at one point you could pull your phone out and you could vote for that that you wanted, and that would be the one that rises to the top. Everybody gets a vote, right? you something about Satan. Satan loves crowdsourcing for truth. You know why? Because he's a liar. The truth is not in him. And he loves it. He loves it. When we get truth all messed up. What was Satan's accusation against Job? Look at him. Stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. Here is the father of all lies speaking to the father of all truth and trying to convince him how things are going to happen. Remember I said to you, God is providential, God is omnipresent omniscience, he knows what's going to happen, he knows what has happened, he knows if you're going to take your next breath. And here is the father of all lies, saying to the father of all truth, when you do this, he will curse you to your face. What I love is that God already knew that ahead of time. Remember what we read this morning. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You know, before I put that on a slide this week, I want to tell you what I say often. I'm not saying you say it, but I'm going to tell you what it comes out of my lips and I ought to be ashamed. I will say things like this. Why me? Now, what's really behind that? Something bad goes wrong. Why me? Or what are you trying to tell me? As if, as if God wants me to fail. Are you with me? I think we all have those kinds of things that we say and do in our life. But I want you to look. Remember what God said. Have you considered my servant Job? Here's Job right here again. He fears me. He truly respects me. And when you get to the end of this first chapter and all this bad and evil and disaster has happened, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Satan's accusation against Job wasn't true. Satan's accusation was actually an accusation against God. 
Satan's accusation isn't true, and neither did it work. But my question would be, why is it so hard to find truth in our day and age? Why is it so hard for people to see the truth that we claim in God's word is sitting there right in front of our eyes? And I'm going to tell you what I think. I think we in this world have lost our baseline. If you get a ruler out from 100 years ago, 12 inches was a foot. It is still a foot. But what we have done with truth in our culture, what we used to recognize as truth down through history, we have now reached the point where we say to each other, I'm okay, you're okay. Or we will say things like this, well, that's not my truth, right? That's not my truth. What, did, did God decide to create 300 million different truths for everybody in America? No. And I want to assure you of something that I'm very confident of. As much as Satan is not the father of truth, the crowd is never the place you need to go to find your truth. Satan knows the truth. Believe me. Satan has not accidentally fallen into being the father of all lies that we have recorded. Satan is the ultimate liar. He is the accuser of God's people, and he has chosen that position. I may sin unintentionally and have to come to you and say, I'm sorry for something that happened. Or I may choose to really whack you with a good one, and I ought to come and say to you, I'm sorry. But believe me, Satan did not make an accident when he chose to deny the father of all truth. And it is not an accident when he tries to tell us in our society today that the culture determines our truth. No. Our ruler has been in place since the beginning of time. And our ruler is God. There's a story that I have told around Easter many times as long as I've been here. But I want to tell it to you again. It's up on the screen. It is when Jesus is standing before Pilate. And Pilate simply has this interchange with Jesus that goes like this. Pilate says, so you're a king? And Jesus says, you say I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who knows the truth will listen to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he'd said that, he went back outside to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. Now here's some things you need to really see here. Jesus says, I'm here for one reason and one reason only. God sent me into the world so I could die for this world. I know why I'm here. I was here to bear witness for the truth for the time that I lived. Pilate says, truth? What is truth? Pay attention, church. The truth is standing up front. The truth is this person that he's about to give over to the Jews for Jesus to lose. What's truth? In our culture, our world has become like Pilate. 
We don't know the truth when it's standing right in front of our face. And if you read into the next few verses, what you'll find is that Pilate does say, I find no fault in this guy. <laughs> Stop and think about that for a minute. Pilate says, I'll go to hell with the guy. But nevertheless, you've got a custom. And every year at this time, you're allowed to free one prisoner. Who do you want to set free? And they say, Barabbas. That's hard to become Pilate. We know the truth that's standing right in front of us, but we are just like Satan. We are perfectly open Nice little video to print. I want to try and show you today. And that regards the church. And that regards what we believe about not only God, but about ourselves. And it brings me to my bottom line. Bottom line is this. When you know God's truth, that's when God knows the truth about you. God loves you. You know what's special about that? If Job were a Christian, you would have known it every time you met him, every time you talked to him. You probably would have been able to identify it the way he walked. Because he knew that he knew that he knew that if there was anyone in all the creation and all of the universe and all that ever is and has been that he could trust, it would have been himself. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God's truth isn't a concept. It's not a fact. God's truth is not a belief or a belief system. God's truth is a person. God's truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get to the end of the book of Job, in the 42nd chapter, God speaks. He steps into the situation with his three friends telling Job, 
He's done something wrong. He's wronged God. All these things have happened for some reason. God steps in and speaks to Job, and he says to Job basically, hey, you, you haven't been perfect, but my, you've been a fine specimen of what it means to be Christ-like. And then he turns to one of Job's friends, and he says to him these words, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, and you have not spoken about him what is true and have heard from God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except by me. Jesus is the truth. God knows truth because it's him. God knows the truth because he is the truth. I started today telling you that I registered for a bike ride. down to the stand and picked up my t-shirt. I can literally tell you I've been there and I haven't done that, but I got the t-shirt. Let's have faith happen in this thing. Pardon me for putting myself in those shoes. He'll take the truth of God and he'll twist a little bit of a lie into a thing you can't learn or discern anything. And the only way that we can know the truth that will set us free to know the truth that is a person, and that is God's Son, Jesus Christ. There is only one truth, and that truth is Jesus. I'm going to sing a song, and as we sing it, I would hope that you would sing it in the context of Job and of what has happened in your life. We're all different. We're all different. Some might look at you and say, man, have you been blessed. I have a friend. I have a friend. I'll just put it this way. See, he is loaded. I mean, you can't believe how loaded this guy is. We've been friends forever. The guy I referenced earlier, he's raising his, we raised our kids together. But he lived in the perfect house. House on a hill. Beautiful, you know. I mean, he built it how he wanted, blah, 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 blah. We went to see him. He's built a new house. He sold the old house, and he built a new one for his retirement years, you know. And it's just as fabulous as the other one. As we pulled in the driveway and we got out of the car, I pulled out my phone. And you remember the theme from the Jeffersons? Well, we're moving on up. Remember that? I just played. I walked around the whole house playing that song over and over and over again. We're all different. Some of us have been blessed. Some of us, life has been a struggle. The way you get free is to know the truth. The truth that sets you free. The truth that sets you free from the sin that so easily besets you. Or the truth that sets you free from the love of the material things that you worship. The truth that sets you free from the sexual sin on your computer. The truth that sets you free from whatever you think. we sing this song, please sing it in the context of the Job of your life. Be good to sing.